I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, my daddy pastored what was called Missionary Baptist Churches in uh, Nashville, Tennessee area and the surrounding area. They had a, <clears throat> in those churches, some of you have heard me tell this before, they had what was called a mourner's bench. And he preached the gospel and they were very sincere in their, uh, the ministry. <clears throat> but how to be saved could be very confusing. You were told to hold on. You were told to turn loose. <clears throat> you were told to, to just not think about anything, just trust him, all kinds of things like that. And I know what they meant, <clears throat> but I was a little boy, eight years old. And I remember being at that mourner's bench on a Sunday morning at the McFerrin Avenue Missionary Baptist Church. And I remember that I'd been trying my best to hold on and turn loose and trust him and do whatever I thought they were telling me to do in order to be saved. <clears throat> I wish they had done it a little bit differently. I wish they had sat down with the Bible and shown me what it meant. Or I wish they had explained to me that it was just a simple prayer of faith, believing. But I didn't get any of that. But I knew I really wanted to be saved. And I remember these words. Lord, I'm just a little boy. I don't know what to do. Please save me. Brother Steve, Jesus saves. <clears throat> my mind and my heart went back to that little eight-year-old boy. And I tried to remember again the moment of just saying, I'm just a little boy. I don't know what to do. Please save me. Occasionally, one of the best things you can do for your heart, your spirit, your strength, and your mind is to just go back to that place where Jesus saved you. That's not part of my sermon today, but I, I just felt like I wanted to share that with you as we <clears throat> bring this third in the series, Fixer Upper. Today we're talking about fixing up our minds. And the text is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Well, we've examined what it meant to, might mean to fix up our spirit. We've examined what it might mean to fix up our strength. But what about our, <clears throat> our minds? According to a recent study by the Kaiser Family Foundation, Young people, that is ages 8 to 18, devote <clears throat> 7 hours and 38 minutes a day to entertainment media, some form of entertainment media. 
Now that's more than 53 hours a week. And because much of that time is spent in multitasking, that is doing one, more than one uh, media matter, like for instance, texting and listening to music, surfing the internet and watching television or whatever it may be. When you combine that, then they actually spend 10 hours and 45 minutes worth of media on those in those on those contents. You say, my goodness, those young people, they really are a mess. And you really are. However, you're not the only one that are challenged by this. If you did a survey of those above the age 18, that would show a trend also that we have increased, that is the general population, maybe not to the degree of young people, but we have increased the amount of time that we use to occupy our minds with entertainment. We just love entertainment, don't we? I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about entertainment. We just love it. We love to be entertained. What do you think that does to the general condition of our minds? Well, that depends. It depends on what we're putting into our minds, whether it's books or music, television, internet, or social media. There's three kinds. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's exactly right. Our text is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It tells us what to do with our minds. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what to do with our bodies. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Today here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the power of our mind. We're going to see the problem of our minds. And we're going to see the prescription for our minds. Let's talk about the power of our minds first. Have you seen the, <clears throat> the um, public service announcement on television? And it is a public service announcement. Of the little boy <clears throat> standing, and he's got a bat and a ball and a baseball hat, and he's standing in a, a little field, <clears throat> and he throws, he says, I'm the greatest batter in the world. Have you seen that? And he throws the ball up, and whoosh! He misses the ball. Oh, he's so dejected. So he tries it again. I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he throws it up and whoosh, he misses it again. Oh, man. Well, he knows it's on the line now because three strikes and you're out. And so he throws it up again. I'm the greatest batter in the world and whoosh. 
he misses again. How many of you have seen that commercial? If you raise your hand. <clears throat> he stands there all dejected, and then he gets an idea. He says, I'm the greatest pitcher in all the world. <clears throat> and it completely changes his outlook. The power of the mind <clears throat> is amazing. It can, can produce a lot of things. It's in your mind <clears throat> that you are an optimist or a pessimist. It's in your mind <clears throat> that you're happy or you're sad. I was talking to someone the other day, <clears throat> and I told them, I said, I don't ever want to lose my, source of, my sense of humor. I never want to lose it. If I lose all function in my arms and legs <clears throat> and the rest of my body, I, and, and even if most of my mind goes, I hope my sense of humor will stay with me. Because I know <clears throat> that my sense of humor controls a great deal of my outlook in this life. Sometimes <clears throat> our minds become so preoccupied to the point that we can't sleep. You ever had that experience? You ever have thoughts just <clears throat> go over and over and over in your mind and heart? Or a song gets stuck in your head in the middle of the night and at 3 o'clock in the morning you're singing this song all over again and again and again and again? Our minds <clears throat> reveal a lot of things about us. They can put us in a stew. We can get something stuck in our heads and we can just... We can think about it to the point that we become even angry about it or embarrassed about it or, <clears throat> or whatever it may be. You ever said this about somebody who did something that seemingly is mindless? What were they <clears throat> thinking? We call people with certain kinds of mind genius. We call some minds beautiful. <clears throat> we call some minds flawed. And minds have been called simple. But the reality is <clears throat> that regardless of how your mind works or what direction your mind takes or how flawed it may be, the mind is powerful, a very <clears throat> powerful thing. And the set of our minds determines the direction of our lives. Now, there are other things that determine our direction. Certainly our, our upbringing, our environment, our education, our spiritual walk, and more. They all add <clears throat> direction and propensities in our lives, but there's nothing really more powerful than our mind and how we live our lives. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, to the pure, the pure what? In mind. All things are pure, but to the defiled, defiled how? In mind. And unbelieving, <clears throat> nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Romans 8 and verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. Proverbs 23, 7 in the King James Version says, As a man thinketh, <clears throat> so is he. Other versions say a similar thing, but <clears throat> the truth is that our mind has a tremendous amount of power. And that ought to concern us to some degree because <clears throat> there are problems that we have with our mind. What is the problem of our mind? Well, <clears throat> for most of us, hopefully all of us, we have a 
relatively normal mind. Now, relatively normal mind doesn't mean that it's not challenged, <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we can find ourselves even with a relatively normal mind embattled in certain thoughts. <clears throat> Do you think people who have road rage are angry all the time? No, they're not. People who have road rage hit a challenge in their mind <clears throat> under a certain set of circumstances of their mind. Otherwise, they're relatively normal people, for the most part, I would think. Nice people, people that you'd want to be friends with. How many times has <clears throat> someone done this atrocious act, killing people, raping people, doing all kinds of things, and then caught, and they go back to the neighbors, and the neighbors said, well, he was just always such a nice guy. He kept his yard clean. <clears throat> and everything just seemed completely normal about him. Well, the truth is that even a nice guy and a good mind can go to a dangerous extreme. Everybody in here has the potential to have a mind that will go to a dangerous extreme. And I want to show you this morning three examples of how our minds can be troubled and <clears throat> how that troubled mind will impact our daily lives and our spiritual walk. Now again, maybe none of us have a full set of issues like these, and we may not have a problem to the degree that, that we would be flawed in some way, I mean, <clears throat> flawed in a way that's public and everybody sees, but we all have issues with our minds. Three things. Here's the first point. Sometimes we have a problem because our mind is aimless. If you have an aimless mind, it's a problem. Ephesians 4.17 says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility of their minds. Now this is a general comparison to the mind of one who is lost as opposed to the mind of one who is saved. There should be a difference in our minds if we're saved versus if we are lost. Paul said that the, of the unsaved that they are led by futility or the aimlessness of their minds. Now, this isn't to suggest that lost people do not have goals in life. Many lost people, maybe most, have goals in life, or <clears throat> that they do not accomplish anything in this life. Quite the contrary. A lot of, of people accomplish things in this life, even though <clears throat> they are unsaved. Nonbelievers have reached high places in business, entertainment, government, sports, and all kinds of notable areas. A lot of unbelievers are unbelievably <clears throat> successful. Now, however, they lack an eternal purpose. They may be very successful in this life, but they lack an eternal purpose. They're aimless as far as eternity is concerned. Colossians tells us that we should set our minds on things above <clears throat> to live for things above and not on things of the earth. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth or on earth. That's Colossians 3 and 2. Now, in this sense, the unsaved <clears throat> are living futile lives. They do not have their minds set on things that are above. And let me just say this. <clears throat> you say, well, I'm glad I'm not unsaved, and, and so I don't have a mind like that. Even if you're saved, even if you're a born-again believer, you can have that kind of a mindset. 
You can think like that. There are a lot of saved people, maybe people that are watching by live streaming this broadcast, maybe some of you, maybe a lot of you, who have a mindset that does not stay on, uh, or does not go to things in heaven. It is set on things of the earth. And, and that can be a, a problem. If you plan for this life only, and many people do, they only plan for this life. They don't plan for anything beyond this life. They just plan for this life. They're saved. That's good enough. I'm just planning for this life. Or if you only give to this life, if there's nothing beyond that you're giving to, if there's nothing eternal that you're giving to, if there's nothing uh, beyond this life that you're investing in, or you prepare your family only for this life. If all you do is send your children to school and say, hot diggity dog, I got them successfully through school, yet you do not prepare them for eternity, then you have a mind that is aimless as far as eternity is concerned. You do not have a goal. You do not have something that you're aiming for in the eternal. That's a real problem. And don't forget what Jesus asked in Mark chapter 8, 36. For what does it a profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own souls? Now, one of the problems that we have in our minds is that we're aimless. So I want you to step back a little bit right now, take a little assessment of your heart and your life and ask yourself this question. Do I have an eternal purpose in my life? Do I live for an eternal purpose in my life? Do I live? Do I give? Do I go? Do I plan? Am I raising my family with an eternal purpose in mind? Is my career such that I have an eternal purpose in mind? Now, it's not wrong to have earthly purposes and earthly goals. In fact, it's a good thing to have earthly purposes and goals. But is that where you stop? Do you just stop and say, well, I'm just pretty much aimless beyond this life. I'm aiming for the end of life and at the end of life, when I die, I want to be like the guy that whoever has the most toys wins. That's what I want to be. I want to go right up until the end and have a lot and have done a lot in this life. Well, I want to tell you something. Most people would admire that, but God would probably tell you that's aimless. That's not enough. Here's the second problem that we have with our minds, we're thankless. We're aimless and we're thankless. Now, Romans chapter 1 is a very interesting chapter. We'll talk a little bit about it, but I just want to show you one verse in Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, this is from a passage that describes the destitute, the demoralized condition of those who live as though God doesn't exist. It shows us how troubled the mind can be. Living in a thankless life or living a thankless life is just a few steps away from all of the troubles that are described in Romans chapter 1, a life that is debased and devalued, even an adulterated life. Many of you know that this is the passage that gives a progression towards sexual deviancy. It says, when they saw God, they acknowledged Him not as God and, so, and, and moved on and said, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And then it goes on and it explains what that reprobate mind is. And that reprobate mind is mainly talking about sexual deviancy. 
And, and the truth is that all of that goes back <clears throat> to a problem with the mind. Now, we all have a problem with our minds. So don't run out of here and say, well, Pastor Ray preached today that sexual deviants have a problem with their mind. Yes, I did. And you do too. I preach that you've got a problem with your mind <clears throat> and that we all can be aimless and that we all can be thankless. It's better to be undeserving and thankful than self-serving and unthankful because the unthankful mind leads to a very bad place. We're talking today about how to fix up our mind. And I'll be honest with you, you're tuned in because you realize that you have areas in your mind and you say, where does that come from? I don't want to think like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be this kind of person. And so you work really, really hard not to be that kind of person. But still, you'll have battles with it. You'll have battles with being aimless and thinking only of that which is in this life and forgetting the eternal. You'll have battles with being thankless. You, you just won't thank, be thankful. And you'll say, look, nobody gave this to me. I worked hard for everything that I have. And thank God for you working hard and thank God for what you have. But somebody did give it to you. It wasn't me. <clears throat> it maybe wasn't your parents. Maybe it wasn't anybody in the, the world around you. But somebody gave it to you. And that somebody is God. And when we fail to recognize God... Uh, and, and we are thankless, that is a problem of our mind. Well, there's a third problem of our mind, and that is that it can sometimes just be downright hostile, <clears throat> just a hostile mind. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Romans chapter 8 is about our sanctification or setting ourselves apart for God's purpose in our lives. And expressing the importance of a mind that is fixed on God, Paul tells the Romans that a mind given to the flesh is hostile. It is hostile to God. That literally means that the carnal mind hates the things of God. Now, I didn't say that the unsaved person hates the things of God. It says the carnal mind hates the things of God. Look, if you're a believer and you have a carnal mind, here's what you'll find. You'll find yourself hating, despising, not wanting to be a part of, not participating in, struggling with certain aspects of the things of God. It's a choice. And you make that decision. I'm going to be hostile toward this. These words, aimless and thankless and hostile, they paint a picture that none of us want. You, you wouldn't say, you know, people put these, these things up in their homes, faith and family. You, you can go buy them at, at home goods. You can buy <clears throat> faith and family and put that on the wall in your home. You can put love on your wall at home. There's all kinds of, of positive spiritually applicable words that you can now buy in marketing and put up in your home. And I'm glad for that. I think that's awesome. I love to go into a home and see something like that. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I I just love to see that kind of thing. I don't think anybody would go to to home goods and say, I'm looking for some wall letters. Okay, what do you want to spell? Aimless. 
I just want to put that on the wall in my house. I want people to know that when they come into my house that I'm just aimless. I want it to be a point of conversation. And I want them to say to me, now why are you aimless? Oh, I'm aimless about eternal things. Everything that I live for is in this life. I raise my kids for this life. I work for this life. I, everything that I've ever given to, I've only given because of this life. If it doesn't pay me back, I'm not going to give to it. I'm not going to participate in it because I'm aimless. In fact, at Christmas time, I'm going to spell that out in, in lights on my roof. Aimless. You wouldn't do that. I'll tell you what I will do. Thankless. I want people to see it at Thanksgiving. We're not going to have Thanksgiving this year. We're going to have thanksless giving. We're going to be thankless this th- because I'm not thankful. I, whenever we give thanks, it's going to be to me. And, and, and this year, when we come around, we're going to say, well, uh, Lord, I, we're going to be like uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart was in that whatever movie that was. Lord, I worked on this. Uh, I've, I have labored on this. I have done this and this and this. And uh, so we're going to eat it because of all the work that I've done. I'm thankless. You wouldn't want that on your, the wall in your house. I mean, I'll tell you, let's, let's do this. Let's make these campaign slogans. We're about to enter into the, the we're not about to enter into it. We're neck deep in the presidential campaigns. And, and you know, let's, I, I tell you what, I'll run for president. And here's what my slogan will be. Want a president who's aimless, thankless, and hostile? Vote for me. I will mess with your mind because I'm aimless, thankless, and hostile. Seriously. Do you want any of that? No, nobody wants that. But that's the problems that all of us have in our minds. We have these things growing out of this triple root that says aimless and thankless and hostile, carnal. It's it's just a, a serious problem for us. Well, let's get very quickly to the prescription for our minds. Recently, one of you came to me or emailed me. I think you emailed me. You may have spoken to me. I'm sorry if I can't remember, but I do remember what you said. You were very positive, which I appreciated, about a a message that I had preached. And you, you said a lot of really things that made me feel good about that message. And here's what I replied to you with. I said, many years ago, a pastor who was older than me told me that the way that he preached was he preached like a druggist at the pharmacy. And he looked out and realized that people uh, came to church with a lot of different needs and that he had the answer to their needs right here. And so what he needed to do was find the, the prescription 
the right prescription and apply it to the need, and he didn't ever again have to worry about preaching a great sermon. Because people wouldn't go away thinking about the druggist. They wouldn't go away thinking about the surroundings. They'd go say, you know, I got the exact thing that I needed. And that's where the prescription for the answers to fix up our minds, our spirits, and our strength is. The Word of God has the answers of life. And we can learn how to go to heaven. We can learn how to live our lives. We can even think with greater clarity if we go to the Word. So let's do this. Let's take the need to fix up our minds to whatever degree they need to be remodeled, and let's see what God would prescribe for our needs, okay? We're, now we've all come on the same page. We all realize that to some degree at one time or another, we have one or more of these problems, aimless, thankless, or hostile. We know that we do. Now, how do we fix those issues in our lives? Well, let's go back to our text and now verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, how do you do that? Let me give you about three or four steps and we're done. First of all, you got to start with new life. You have to. Ephesians 4 and verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now here's how I've been preaching to you today. I've been preaching to all of you from a premise that you're all saved, that you're all born-again believers. But that may not be true. In fact, I would think that of a congregation of any size, it's almost never true that everyone truly are born-again believers. There may be someone here. You've been struggling with this forever. You've been struggling with what it means to be born again. You've been struggling with the idea of knowing for sure that you're on your way to heaven at the end of this life. You've been just struggling with this, and it has gone on and on. You've always wanted a peace in your life, but you never have really been able to find that peace because of the struggle that continues to be a part of your life. Now, if that is you, and it doesn't matter if you're single or if you're married, it could be that you're a student. Maybe you're a young person. You could be a grandmother or a grandfather. You could be a dad or a mom. Whoever you may be, when you are eligible, you, you may be eligible for the ultimate fixer-upper. There is an ultimate fixer-upper to our minds. It's called being born again, to have new life. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, I know that some of you think that it's hard to come to the place of salvation. You've put it off for years, you're uncertain about it, you struggle with it, and you really do think that it's hard to come to the place of salvation. Uh, Look, if you do not know for sure that you're going to heaven at the end of this life, then you can and you should know it, and you can and you should know it today. You, You should, first of all, get rid of whatever hang-up has kept you 
from being saved. Whatever that hang-up may be, you say, well, I, I just don't like to, to go forward. All right, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll t- today, at the close of the service, I'll give you an opportunity to pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior right where you sit. You don't have to come down and wave a flag. You don't, you don't have to uh, hold up an offering. You don't have to do anything like that. You can come and you can receive Jesus Christ. What, whatever your hang-up is, I'm going to encourage you to get rid of that because you can renew your mind. Everything that you need for eternal life is waiting for you. Jesus has done everything. What will it cost me? It won't cost you anything. Uh, what will I have to do? You won't have to do anything. Where will I have to go? You won't have to go anywhere. Uh, you, you say, well, how is all that possible? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born of a virgin, walked on this earth, a sinless, lived a sinless life in order that when He paid the ultimate price for sin, died on the cross for your sins, it would not be not one minuscule amount of the drop of blood of Jesus Christ paid for any sin that He had done. He paid it all for you and for me. That's how salvation seems so simple to you and me, because the most impossible aspect of it was done by the Lord Himself when His Son Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And we're going to give you that opportunity. So, the prescription for your mind is new life. Now, you say, Pastor Ray, I already have that. That's great. I already have that. Like my grandson in vacation Bible school last year, or maybe in the year before, it came time for Bible time, and they were going to talk to the kids about salvation. And he raised his hand, and he looked at the leader, of, and he said, hey, uh, I don't have to do that part because I already took care of that in my pop's office. So maybe that's the way it is with you. Maybe you're already saved. I hope you are, and I thank God if you are. But if you're not, we're going to give you that opportunity. You say, well, all right, I'm already saved, what I, but I'm still having trouble with my mind. What do I do? Well, if you've got new life, then here's the second thing. You need a new outlook. You need to look at things differently. I mean, you listen to me now. You need to look at things differently. You need to stop looking at things the way you look at things that's messing everything up for you and start looking at it differently. I'll use one aspect. Are you a negative person? Seriously and honestly, are you the person who is usually skeptical? I don't mean wise. I mean skeptical, always looking at the dark side of things rather than knowing that there is a bright side, there's a God side of things probably more than want to admit it, will admit it, would admit it. Let me ask you this question then. Are you saved? And most of you say yes. Now, if you're saved, here's the question. Why do you have a negative mindset? I mean, that's a good question. That's a fair enough question. Well, if you knew what happened in my life, I do. You got saved. Jesus loves you. The Father gave you salvation. You have eternal life in heaven. You say, yeah, but, but I've had other things that's happened in my life. I understand that, and I'm not minimizing that. We've all had things to happen in our, <clears throat> in our lives. The question is this, if we're saved, why are we negative? 
What is it about the life around us that can overcome the Jesus in us? What is it about life around you that is worse than the good of Jesus in you? Is that not a good question? Don't just stare at me, nod at me, blink your eyes, do something. You understand what I'm saying? What is it about life around you that is worse than the good of Jesus in you? I, uh, I watch Fox News. You know that I do. I've told you that before. I mainly watch it for the beautiful women. The truth is I'm a liberal. Uh, I'm not. <clears throat> but I was watching The Five the other day, and, and everybody on Fox News, is they're, they're all beautiful, except the token liberals. They make sure that they're ugly people. But uh, <clears throat> I was watching, and, and Ansley Earhart, that's her picture, was filling in for Dana Perino. And... Uh, Ansley was guest hosting around Easter, and the conversation got about ISIS and terrorism. It's a pretty heavy conversation. And the mood was very somber when she said this, I'm a Christian, and I've learned at my church that as believers, we can have peace. She said this. And then she said, here's what Jesus said in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you'll, you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Boom! Immediately I tweeted, Ansley Earhart quoting the Bible. Boom! I loved it. That's, you, you, you have to do that. Now, that doesn't mean you're silly. Doesn't mean you're not a realist. Doesn't mean you're not a thinker. Doesn't mean that, you know, that, that you're take me to your leader. It doesn't mean all of that. Here's what it means. It, it means that you, you have come to a realization that there is someone in control higher than those peoples that, people that are creating chaos. If you want to fix up your mind, <clears throat> you have to change your outlook. And, and I will tell you this, I, and, and this, I probably ought not even get off into this, but I'll say this one thing be done with it. I don't watch Fox News all the time, because if I watched Fox News all the time, I'd get up on my roof and jump off. I'm serious. There, that's why I watch swamp people. It's a trip for me. I don't need to smoke anything or take anything. I just need to hear Troy say, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, Elizabeth. That's all I need to hear. You got to go to a good place once in a while. It's a good place to see those alligators get it right in the top of the head. Richard, you remember me telling you that sometimes when I walk out around here, it's not on the script. That was one of them right there. Probably should have stayed right here, but whatever. <clears throat> there are other things that we should be thinking about instead of the, the doom and gloom in the world today. This world's a mess. No way around it. This world is an absolute card-carrying, 
fluttering, falling mess. And it's getting messier every day. You say, well, I can't wait until we get a new president so that it won't be a mess anymore. It's going to still be a mess. It could be a messier mess, but it's going to still be a mess. Here's, look, please do this. Please memorize Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is if there is, I, I move my eyes. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Just think about those things. Get your mind off the mess. And think about those things. We went to Jonah's the other night in Thomasville. Have you, how many of you have eaten at Jonah's in Thomasville? Well, Jonah's got an Amen. Shrimp and grits. I understand. And and we we waited our sufficient time and we got sat down and there was this large table, a bunch of kids and their parents and, and so on. And you, you know you know what it's like when children are in a restaurant, you know, you know, gee, I'm gonna sit next to them. Ooh, ooh. They're great kids. Oh, they had their moments, but they were great kids. Just great kids. And uh, I looked over it at the end of our meal, and I looked over and I said, uh, you got some great kids there. I work with kids a lot, and trust me, you've got some great kids. And one of the guys that was there, like two or three families put together, one guy said, oh, thank you very much. So I got up, and I got ready to leave, and he said, let me ask you a question. He said, um, what do you do that you work with kids? And I said, I'm a pastor in Tallahassee, and I'm the president of North Florida Christian School. So I work with kids all the time. And the dad looked across at the little boy who was about five years old, and he said, called his name and said, hey, he loves Jesus too. I loved it. I loved it. You get the persimmon off your face and be happy once in a while. Enjoy life. Enjoy the people of life and the things of life. Enjoy. I hate to be trivial, but don't worry. Be happy. Change your mind. Get new life if you don't have it. Get a new outlook. And let me just say this. Sometimes you need new friends. You just do. Psalm 1 1 says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. You ever heard of that you're known by the company you keep? Birds of a feather flock together. You might be flying around with some birds who are keeping you in the wrong state of mind. And you could make those choices. I can relate to this. <laughs> I can relate to this by the people that have been in the golf cart with me. <laughs> there are some people who I never even want to try 
to take to the golf course with me. I just don't ever even want to try it because I know what's going to happen to my mindset. It's not because of the way they play, but it's because of the way they are. He said, but pastor, you're the pastor. Don't you want to have a good relationship with them? Yes, I do. Passing them in the mall. But I want to tell you, four hours in a golf cart is a long, you can really, it's, it's worse than flying to New York, sitting beside somebody. It's a long, long time. There's some who've had one chance and that was it. And, and I've given others more than one chance and wish that I hadn't. But sometimes you've just got to change your, your friends. Parents are always worried about that. Now, you kids need to pick better friends. If you don't have better friends, you're going to go the way of your friends. You know that. You're going to be just like them. And so you need to pick better friends. All of you need to pick better friends. And guess what? So does your mom and dad. Can I get a witness? Amen. You kids can say amen. Amen. A lot of the times that's the problem. Mom and dad have got wrong friends. Mom and dad have got bummer for the mind friends. People that are just going to mess with their heads. You've you got to give, give up who you hang out with. It's the truth. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but can you think of somebody in your life who's not good for you in your mind? Can you? <laughs> Doc, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that. Don't be around those people. Don't be around those people that are not going to allow you to think of whatsoever things are good and pure and true and right and so on. One more thing and I'm done. And that is a new understanding. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. It takes a lifetime to have the mind of Christ. And then we discover that we were lacking. How's your mind holding up? Seriously, how is it? I mean, are your affections on things above and not on things of the earth? Or are you more aimless? Really? Do you live in a gratitude for who God made you and what God has given you and all the privileges that are yours? Or do you rarely give that any thought? you got to start living in gratitude. Do you find yourself sometimes aligning more with the, host- the hostile posture of the world against Christ than with Christ against the hostile part, uh, uh, part of the world? What do you find? Today, we need to fix up our minds.